Welcome to the 11 o'clock in-person service. Um, and it's great to see your eyes um, next week uh, in the sanctuary. Um, a mask won't be uh, required, so, uh, so we can look forward to that. But uh, anybody ready for that? I know I am. Yes, I am ready for that as well. Uh, as Amy said, I do have one more announcement, um, and it's about Father's Day. All right, pop quiz. Who knows when Father's Day is? When is it? close. 20th. It's the 20th. It's the 20th. But you were right. It's not next Sunday, but the Sunday after. So, so that's right. So here's what we're doing for Father's Day. I want your dad jokes, right? We're all familiar with dad jokes. So there's, there's those quick little jokes that kind of make you go like this, or <laughs> like that. Like, like I want them. You don't have to be a dad to share the dad jokes with me. You can be a child or you can be a, a, a wife or you can just be somebody who knows dad jokes, like whatever. Uh, we're going to celebrate dads with dad jokes and we're going to have an award for the top three jokes. We're going to have an award for the funniest dad joke, like the one that makes us laugh. We're going to have an award for the cheesiest dad joke. That's the one that makes you cringe, right? And then we're going to have a free-for-all. That will just go to the joke that we just want to give an award to, all right? So, um, so send me a video of your dad joke, um, right? And I mean, I want them, right? Because right now, I have gotten half of a dad joke. The video that was sent to me, the joke part didn't come through, just the punchline. So I have no idea what the first part of the joke is. So I believe we can do better than that. And if, if, if the video is hard, then just send it to me in an email, fred at fellowshipashville.com, and I will collect those. As a staff, we'll, we'll pick our winners, and then you'll hear about them on Father's Day. Deal? Y'all sound super convinced. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, go ahead and open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. And, and here's what I, I hope happens today. As Cam alluded to in leading worship, I hope that you leave this place um, with more faith and trust in Jesus than you had walking in. And I hope you have even more faith and trust in Jesus tomorrow than you do today. And if that's what you want, then you have found your people. Uh, because that's what we want together. And so truly, no matter who you are or where you are, we're a church for you. Now, and, and I have a confession that I want to make when we, before we get started. We've been doing this series called Rebuilders for eight weeks now, where we've looked at the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, and they go together. <laughs> um, and, and here's my confession. Every week, I've been asking you to consider the same question. God, what are you stirring in me? God, what are you stirring in me? I ask you that every week. I, I think of different ways to say it. God, what are you rebuilding in me? All this stuff. Well, this week, I was, I was having my, my devotion time. I was having my quiet time. And, and, and the Lord prompted me that for eight weeks, I've been asking y'all to ask that question. And I hadn't asked that question of myself. That's my confession. I sat down with my journal open and I said, all right, God, what are you stirring in me? And, and what was interesting is that, you know, I'm kind of a visionary by nature. I've always got ideas bouncing around in my head. I think it might drive the staff a little bit crazy, but I've always got ideas bouncing around in my head. But when I asked that question, it allowed me to kind of quiet my soul, quiet my heart, quiet my mind and listen to what the Holy Spirit was saying. And so, so I did. I asked myself that question, God, what are you stirring in me? And then I just wrote down three things. Out of all these ideas in my head, three things kind of rose to the surface. 
And then I asked another clarifying question. As I looked at that list and I said, Jesus, what of these things do I need you to accomplish? Which of these things can only you accomplish? And so this next question of of what can only God accomplish in that stirring was a clarifying question. Because it took that list of three and knocked one of them right off. And, And here's why. One of those things was something I've already seen God do in the past. I already have the faith and trust to, to walk with him in that. That wasn't something that, that, that is this big thing. But the other two, and one in particular, honestly requires more faith and trust than I have right now to, for, to see God do that. And so for that to happen really will be God doing it. And so for all of us, I wonder what, what would happen if we all did that. Now, maybe, maybe you've been asking yourself that question and you've quieted your soul and quieted your heart, but maybe not. Maybe, maybe you're kind of like me. And, 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 and so here's, here's what I'd like us to do today. I'm going to pray and I want us to take just a minute and, and quiet our hearts, quiet our minds, and listen. Let's listen to Jesus. Let's listen to the Holy Spirit about what he's doing in us. And then let's ask ourselves, okay, what is it that only you can accomplish? And what I want us to do is as we open our hearts and minds to Jesus, when I I give us some time to do that in just a minute, I also want us to keep those hearts and minds open as we go through God's word. Because I think God has something for us in Nehemiah chapter 3. Something more than just a bunch of names that I can't read and a bunch of jobs that, that we may not connect with. There's something in there because I really do believe that God has something for each of us. So, so let me pray. Jesus, um, for those of us here in person and for those watching at home, um, I truly believe you are stirring something in each of us that's good for all of us. And, and I believe that there's something in there that only you can do. And it may be big and it may be small, but it requires more faith and trust than we think we have. But Jesus, what I know about you is that you are willing and wanting to give us that faith and trust and wanting us to walk with you. And so, Father, I pray right now that as we silence our voices, as we silence our our minds and our hearts, that we hear your voice speak clearly. And so, God, what is it that you are stirring in us? Jesus, what are you doing in our life that only you can accomplish? For those of you who are kids in the room, ask yourself this question too. What does God want to rebuild in you? What does God want to rebuild in your family? Jesus, I I pray that we will walk with you in and what it is that you're stirring. And as we take steps, you would let these things become more clear to us. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Now, if you know what God is stirring in you, even if it's a little messy and and you're not super clear on it, at the end of the message today, I would love for you to go to that board in the back that says, God wants to rebuild my, and then you fill in the blank. 
and put a word up there that represents what you believe God is stirring in you, what you believe that God wants you to rebuild. Because, and, and, and by the way, if you're watching online too, just leave a comment and we will add it to the board for you because I want to pray over that board uh, this week and, and, and pray for God to, to stir those things in you. Now, when we ended chapter 2 last week in Nehemiah, um, uh, here's what we saw. We saw Nehemiah learn about this problem in Jerusalem, right? That the wall had been torn down, had been torn down for years. And in and, and hearing about it, God stirred in his heart to do something about it. And that led Nehemiah to pray and fast for four months. He prayed and fasted. And he surrendered himself to God through prayer. And in the process of doing that, God also gave him this plan of what it would mean to rebuild. And the first step of that plan was to talk to the king. Remember, he was in Babylon. And who remembers what his job was in Babylon? He was what to the king? He was cupbearer to the king, which meant he was the one that tasted all the king's food to make sure it wasn't poisoned, right? He was the one that, that had this very close and safe relationship with this king of Babylon. And so the first step in this plan was to tell his boss, the king, that he needed to leave because God was stirring something in him. And he did that. And when he did that, uh, his boss, the king, said, not only is it okay for you to go, I want to send you with everything you need. And that's where Nehemiah had this plan. All right, well, then I need this, 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 and this, and, and, and I need a letter to, to, so that we are kept safe. Well, when chapter 3 opens up, we're going to see the rebuilding start. And, and what we're going to see is this, that godly success, in other words, stepping into what God is asking you to do, that godly success needs God's people, right? That godly success we've seen needs, needs godly surrender. Godly success um, uh, needs God's plan. And today we're going to see that godly success needs God's people. And so what we're going to do when we go through this, chapel, uh, this chapter is see what kind of people are God's people. What kind of people we need around us to be able to create this, this environment where we can step deeper and deeper into faith and trust in what God is doing. So let's look at verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Then Elisahib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priest, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors, and they consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the, to, as far as the Tower of Hanael. Now, Here's what happens in Nehemiah. You see them rebuild this wall in sections. There's about 40 sections that get rebuilt. And, and what Nehemiah chapter 3 does is it goes through each of those sections and says who's rebuilding it and what type of, of person they are that's rebuilding it. And what Ezra did, most people believe that Ezra is the one who wrote and penned Ezra and Nehemiah. And what Ezra did is he's showing you where it starts. Right? And, and it starts with this, this guy who we know his name and we know his title is high priest. Now let me tell you about the high priest. Because in the nation of Israel, this high priest was a, a critically important person. Because the high priest connected all the past of Israel. All that God has been doing in the past to the present needs of the nation. Right? And here's what I mean by that, about the, the, the high priest connecting the past to the present. Because this high priest is connected to the past because he is a descendant of Aaron. Now, Aaron, let's rewind the, the Israel history clock back a bit, a bit. Aaron is the brother of Moses, right? 
And we know Moses. Moses was the guy that God used to lead the nation out of slavery and captivity in Egypt to, through the desert and into the promised land, right? And, 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 but what we also know about Moses is that he had a stutter. And he was very um, uncomfortable oftentimes speaking in front of people. He was oftentimes insecure about leading. And so God said, hey, let your brother Aaron help you out. And, and so Aaron would sometimes speak for Moses. Aaron would encourage Moses to lead. And so everywhere that Moses went, there was Aaron right alongside of him. And they were, they were co-workers in this, in this ministry of leading the nation. Well, as the nation wandered through the desert, God laid it on them to create a place to worship him, to worship God. And, and it's called the tabernacle. Imagine this big tent in the, in the desert, right? That's the tabernacle. And there were all these, these building uh, requirements for building it because everything in the tabernacle represented something. Now, God had Moses to lead the nation, but he needed someone to lead the nation in worship. That was Aaron. As a matter of fact, in Exodus 28, and I'll put this up here, it says, it says Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him, Anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priest. Right? And so, so God said, listen, Moses is going to lead the nation. But Aaron, you and your sons, y'all are going to lead the nation in worship. Right? And so from this point on, to be a high priest meant that you were a descendant of Aaron. As a matter of fact, to be in that role of the high priest, you had to prove your lineage to Aaron. Because from that point on, that's the only family line that could be in this role. And so that's why this role connects Israel all the way to their past. Because it was your great, 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 great granddaddy who was the first high priest. But this role also connected people to the present. Because when you were a high priest and you were serving the nation, you would put on all these, all these, you know, you'd put on this hat and you'd put on this breastplate. Right? And it was this metal breastplate that had 12 stones on the front and one stone on each shoulder. And each stone represented the 12 tribes of Israel. Each, each tribe got its own stone. And so when the priest would serve the nation, he literally had the weight of the people that he served resting on him. And it was this constant reminder when he looked down that his job, this, this position of power wasn't for his own glory, it was for his ability to serve the nation and to lead them into worship. And it was to connect their present needs to the history of this nation worshiping God. And so for the high priest, they were connected to the past and they were connected to the present. They were connected to, to, to the history of all that God had done and the, the present need of serving the nation. Now, if, if godly success needs God's people, here's my question for you. Do you have a person like this in your life? Right? Because we're going to talk about this for a minute, but for Nehemiah to, to throw this, this, this thing out there of, hey, y'all, I feel like God is stirring this in me for us to rebuild this wall and that high priest to be the first one to pick up a stone and start rebuilding the wall was a huge act of confirmation because when the high priest did it, it was saying, Nehemiah, what you're asking us to do is in line with everything that God has done before and it is in line with what God needs us to do right now. 
It was this huge stamp of approval saying, yes, this is what God is doing. Do you have a priest in your life who does that? Do you have a person that can connect the the past of what God has done from from creation to sin to to redemption to, to glorification in return to your current needs? You see, do you have a priest in your life that, that like the high priest wearing these 12 stones, is concerned about your, your current needs more than their own? Right? Do you have a person, do you have a man, do you have a woman in your life that, that can listen to your plans and not think about how it affects them, but, but listen to say, yeah, I, I think that's something that God is doing in your life. Let's, let's pay attention to that. Let's Let's walk in that. You see, godly success needs a priest. Now, in the book of Hebrews, let me tell you something else about this, this, this priest in your life. And I'm just using that term because, you know, it's, in the, it's, it's, it's what Nehemiah had. He had this high priest. You don't necessarily need somebody with a collar in your life. But, um, although, on a side note... There have been times where I'm like, man, I wish I didn't have to pick out what to wear every Sunday. I wish I just had a closet full of the same thing. So there's, there's some advantages to that little collar. But let me tell you something else about the high priest role. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about Jesus being our ultimate high priest. Because he connects us to the, to the past of what God was doing. Uh, from, from the first whisper of the gospel in Genesis 3 to his own fulfillment of it that we see in the Gospels, to his present ministry to us and with us and through us. That's what, that's what Jesus does. He connects all that is true about God in, in, the, in, the, in, in, in the Scriptures to our current day. And in Hebrews, uh, the author of Hebrews says, Jesus is your high priest. And so my question for you is, does your priest point you to Jesus the high priest? Is that part of what this, this priest in your life does is point you to Jesus? Can I give you a great example of this in my life? For years, I had a counselor. And, and this guy had been a pastor for years, and then he'd been a counselor for like 40 years, right? He's this old guy. He has seen it all. And I would come to him and, be, and just share kind of what was on my heart and what was stressing me out. And he would give me this great godly wisdom, not only from God's word, but also from his experience. And it was so good. And then I, we, we also have uh, this couple in our life, uh, a husband and wife, and, and they started off as consultants for the church and then became counselors of mine and then became friends. And their role in my life has been invaluable because they help keep me in line with God's word and they lovingly point out where I'm out of line. And they lovingly counsel me not only from God's word, but, but also from experience. And they help me see where my life is in line with God's word and where it's out. And these priests in my life are invaluable because they keep pointing me back to Jesus. And so for you, maybe you need a priest in your life. Maybe you need a good Christian counselor. I've got a list. I can recommend you one, right? Maybe it's your growth group leader. Who's the priest in your life that keeps pointing you back to Jesus? Kids, maybe it's your mom or dad who keep pointing you back to Jesus. You see, who is your priest that's pointing you to Jesus, the high priest? That's that's one of the people you need as God's people around you. Now, from here on out in this chapter, here's what's going to happen. I'm not going to read this whole chapter like I normally do because it's a bunch of Old Testament names. And y'all know how much I love reading Old Testament names, right? 
But here's why I'm going to skip over. I'm going to highlight some of the people that are here and some of their roles that are here. Because, because what Ezra is doing is showing us through this, these are the type of people that are rebuilders with you. And these are the type of people that you need. But the first group of people that I'm going to highlight are people that are the people you don't need to be rebuilders with you. Because they're kind of in this first group. Look at verse 5. Jump down to verse 5. It says, and next to them, so right, Nehemiah is, or Ezra is kind of going through and pointing out this is how everybody was working with Nehemiah. And he gets to this next group, and he says, and next to them, uh, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stop to serve their Lord. All right? So their nobles uh, would not stoop, not stop. Their nobles would not, would not stoop to serve the Lord. And so here's what's happening they're pointing out there's this group of people, right? And, and to, to, uh, the Tekoites were from, the, from this small little village south of Jerusalem, I found out. But their leaders, their nobles, were there but didn't work, right? A lot of people believe that if you were of nobility, uh, the sleeves of your robe actually went longer than your hands because you didn't lift your hands to do any work. And so when, when they saw you, your, you the, the robes were a little bit longer than your hands. Well, these nobles, they were there, but they didn't want to do the work. You see, this group is the only group of people that's highlighted in chapter 3 of people who didn't do the work. Because here's the deal. When you're responding to what God is stirring in you, when, when you're walking in more faith and trust, the people you need around you are the people who are willing to do the work with you. Like we live in an age of social media, right? Where, where if anybody posts anything, somebody's going to criticize it. Some guy in his boxers in the basement who has, who, who's not doing the work feels like they have the ability to criticize the work. Y'all, I want to give you permission that if you're following Jesus and you're getting criticism from, from, from people who think it's more important to criticize than it is to co-labor with you, you have freedom to disregard their criticism. Right? One of the things I learned in going through Ezra and Nehemiah, I had a mentor tell me this, that, you know how you, that you're told that, that every bit of criticism you get has a kernel of truth in it. Right? Anybody heard that? That's actually a lie. There's some criticism that has no truth in it. And we see that in these guys named Sam Ballot and Tobiah that we'll see in the next few chapters. Their sole purpose is to stop the work of God. So church, as we're following Jesus and more faith and trust, if there are people who are criticizing that work and not willing to do the work with you, you have the freedom to keep looking ahead instead of turning to the side. Look at verse 27, but you'll notice something about the rest of the Tekoites that's really cool. If you pop down to verse 27, it says this. It says, and after them, the Tekoites, there they are again, repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. So here's what you see. As they're going around talking about who's working on the wall, you have the Tekoites here, but remember their nobles aren't doing the work. And then, and then they're going to go through and talk about all these other people. And then they're going to pick up the Tekoites again over here, which means... Even though the nobles weren't working, you had this common Joe and Josephine who were doing the work. And not only were they doing the work, they were double doing the work. They were working over here and over there, which is also, as far as I know, the only group of people that that, 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 that set of. And so 
when, you, when you're getting God's people around you, I think the emphasis here is to remember, get the people around you who are working with Jesus as well. Not the people around you who aren't. Right Now, I'm going to highlight a couple of more verses because we're going to see some different type of people and then, and then I'm going to kind of tie it together. Look at, look at verse 7. If you look at verse 7 and you look at the end, it says, The men of Gibeon and Mizpah, um, the man of Gibeon and of Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. And so here's what is being pointed out here, that there are government officials doing the work too. Right? The governor of the land is doing the work. And look at the next verse, verse 8. It lists a, a couple of names, and it says, The goldsmiths repaired, and next to Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad river. So you've got goldsmiths, and you've got perfumers. Right Now, I don't know about you, I haven't made perfume before, but I would think to, to transition from making perfume to building a wall is a pretty big transition, right? right? Look at verse 9. It says, um, And next to them, Jedidiah, the son of Har, however you say that, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hatsua, the son of them, repaired, right? And so you have a whole another ruler, right? Um, in, verse, in verse 12, Look at this, because you're going to have more rulers, but something unique stands out. Look at the, at the end of verse 12. It says, ruler of, the, of half the district of Jerusalem repaired, he and his what? Daughters. And so this rebuilding wasn't just the governor officials. It wasn't just the adults, y'all. It was the kids. It was a family affair. And y'all, what God is stirring in you is for the whole family. Look at verse 14. I love these guys. Look at where they were, look at what they repaired. In the middle of verse 14, you say, and they repaired the what? Say it out loud, the what? The dung gate. Do you know what that is? That's what you think it is. It's the toilets, right? It's where they, because they didn't have plumbing, and so they would take their excrement, they would take the poop outside the city gates and deal with it there. And, and they were brilliant to say, we're going to dedicate one gate to that, not every gate, right? And there was one place that they would go to take that. Listen, as you're developing God's people around you, you need people around you who are willing to work in the messy parts of your life, right? Look at verse 17. It says this, See, and after him, the Levites repaired. And so you see that the Levites were the assistant to the priest. And so not only did you have the high priest and, and his sons working with him, but you also had the assistant priest. That's what the Levites were. They were working. The religious people were working. And if you look at verse 22, you'll see more priests were working. And so as you work your way around this wall, you see it involved everyone. Everyone had a place. Everyone had a part to work on. And I think about what it was like for, for, for Nehemiah to experience this. Because at the end of chapter 2, he said, let's do this. Let's rebuild. And then he waited. And he saw the high priest pick up the first brick, pick up the first, per, first stone and put it in place. Fix the first gate. He looked around the perimeter and all of a sudden he saw all these people doing the work, which for him just started as a little stirring months and months ago. 
And now here it is. God has, has moved and God has done this. He sees the kind of people that you want rebuilding with you. So, so we saw him. Let me talk about him a little bit. Right? Like you need the, the Coites with you. You need the common Joe and Josephine in your life. The hardworking, good, salt of the earth kind of people. You know what I'm talking about? Like you need people uh, who can just speak from this experience of, of work. My grandfather uh, delivered ice for a living. Right? So this was a while back. Right? But I remember growing up with him is he just had this hard work ethic. And he had this hard work wisdom. I even remember his arms. You know, like old man strong arms? That's what he had. Because he had literally carried blocks of ice his entire life. You need those type men and women in your life that are good, hardworking people. You also, you see in this, you see the rulers of the land. You see the government officials. You need people with experience and leadership. Listen, I know what God is stirring in you feels like something that might be brand new to you. But Ecclesiastes tell us that there is nothing new under the sun. And if you want to go someplace you haven't been before, it's best to find someone who has been there before to show you the way. You need a mentor. That's what these leaders are, these experienced leaders. They're, they're mentors in your life to, to say, yes, you can do this. Yes, God is stirring this in you. And one of the things that we have started here Trish Lancaster was here at the 9 o'clock service, and she's one of our deacons, and she has started this ministry. If you listen to her convo cast, you know this. If you haven't, go back and listen to it. But she's doing this ministry for, for new moms and experienced moms to be in the same room, basically. Because a new mom feels like everything is brand new, right? An experienced mom has seen it. And there's something beautiful that happens when a new mom feels overwhelmed and feels like a failure, which is a pretty common feeling, right, moms? But when you have an experienced mom look at you and say, honey, you're going to be okay. Your kids are going to be okay. They're going to need counseling just like you need counseling. It's okay. Nobody expects you to be perfect except yourself, so why don't you stop? Like there's something beautiful that happens in that that only an experienced mom can tell a young mom. And I would love to see this ministry grow, y'all, because I think new moms need it. I would love to see somebody lead the dads in this to connect experienced dads to new dads because I think dads need it too. And so that's the kind of people you want around you. And then, and then you know, you, you also have these people around the wall, the goldsmiths and the perfumers. They're comfortable in the marketplace. They're comfortable doing their job. But you know what? They started building the wall because Nehemiah said, I think this is what God is doing. And the high priest said, this is what God is doing. And so they were willing to step out in faith. You see, you need people in your life from all different backgrounds that have one thing in common. They're faithful to God. And they said yes to Jesus and have expressed that faith in multiple areas of their life. They may have a job that doesn't match what God is calling you, but they have a faithful track record that does. And you need them around you. I love the fact that, that, that daughters are working along. It was expected to have your sons work with you. It was unexpected to have your daughters. And you need people like, like we need to understand this is a family affair when when God uh, moved uh, on me and Ashley, I mean me and, and what's your name? Stacy, my wife. I don't know where Ashley came from. 
Oh, because I was looking at Asheville. That's why. We'll go with that. It's been 15 months in quarantine. I, I promise I know her name. But when God laid it on our heart to start Fellowship Asheville, um, one of the things that we learned is that God was actually calling our whole family. That even though he worked through us, God had special plans for Seth and Luke here that wouldn't have happened in Tennessee. You see, what God is stirring in you is a family affair. It's a family engagement. It's not just you. It's for your family. And ultimately, it's for the body, the family of of God. It's for the church. And then, of course, the Dungate people, you need people that know the messy parts of your life, people who know your mess. I don't think one person needs to know all your stuff. I think that's a lot for one person to carry. But I think a group of someone's who can collectively know all your stuff, like who are those people that are willing to get into the mess of your life? And then, of course, the religious leaders are working side by side. You need people that can point you to the wisdom of God's word. And then the high priest, you need people to point you directly to Jesus. Now, I got to tell you, I, I do know what this felt, felt like for, for Nehemiah. In my own experience, I mean, I remember what it was like in 2004, 2005 to, to sense that God was calling us to start Fellowship Asheville. Walking downtown on vacation, Pritchard Park, and, and you hear the voice of God saying, I, I kind of want you to, to start this thing. And then you go through this process of going back home and meeting with the elders and telling people, and you see this excitement build. And then we moved here in 2008, still not sure if this is what God was calling us to do. We were fairly sure. I mean, we packed up our family and moved, but it could have collapsed at any day. And then, and then to see what I get to see in this church, because I know some of your stories, and I know the steps of faith that you have taken over the years. I know the, the things that you have done. I, I get to see like, like who takes food to these families that we help support with, with food. I get to see the organizations that, that you give money to us so we can give money to them, and I get to see the impact that that money makes. I, I get to see the people who serve you every Sunday by getting here like at seven-something in the morning to make sure this place is set up and ready. I get to see all of that. I get to see, I get to see your growth group leaders who shepherd you in uh, day in and day out with, with wisdom. I get to see our elders who, who lead the church in shepherding, who oversee the church through, through doctrine and making sure we're headed in the right direction. Like I get to see that. I get to see deacons who serve. And oftentimes I feel like Nehemiah must have felt when, when he looked around and, and what started months ago as this idea from God came into fruition and seeing all these people doing the work and seeing this wall built. And the words that I continually come back to are humbled and amazed. I'm humbled that God would do this through someone like me. And I'm amazed that he would do this through someone like me. See, and here's the deal. I think God has that for each of you. I don't think my experience is unique. I think it's something that God wants for each of you. He wants you to look as you follow him and, and have those moments where you are humbled and amazed by what God has done through you. Because when you are, then God's the one who gets the glory, not you. Right? You see, 
For you, I believe God is stirring, and I believe that God wants to rebuild in each of you. Now, I've already asked who is your high priest that's pointing you to Jesus, but, but now I, I want to know, I want you to think about who are those people around you? Who are God's people around you that God can use to help you follow Jesus? You see, because godly success needs God's people. For you to be able to follow that stirring of God, you, you need those people around you. Now, at church, we say life change happens better in circles than it does in rows, And what this means is that we all need that circle where we're known and where we're needed. You know, and you need that by a group here at at, at Fellowship, perhaps. It's why this summer, the word that keeps coming to our mind is reconnect. It's why we're doing these summer get-togethers. We want to be together again. It's why we're doing these Highland hangouts. It's, It's so that we can sit in a meadow together, let the kids run crazy, We can get a grilled cheese sandwich from the food truck. That, by the way, takes way too long to get, but it is delicious. All right? And we can sit together again. We can reconnect and we can be each other's people. Can I give you another picture of what this looks like? You know, every week I'm adding something up there to to represent what what this looks like, to to have God's people around you. And and the closest thing I could come up with was this power cord. Right? Because... Let me ask you, right now this is plugged in and it's got power, right? You can see it here. What happens if I unplug this? How much power is in here? None, right? Now, now for some of you, the first step, um, which is why this is important, is to plug into what God is doing. For some of you, church has been this experiment with you. What does it mean? What does it, you know, let me tell you what it means. It means that you are plugged into God through Jesus. That he has said the way to, to life is through him. It's not through your own efforts, and it's not, through the, it's not um, um, uh, based on the good things you've done. It's not hindered by the bad things you've done. It is because of Jesus, because his crucifixion and his resurrection has made a way for you to have life and to have it abundantly, not just eternally, but presently. And when you do, you plug into this powerful relationship with God. Now, here's the deal. If you haven't said yes to Jesus, then let today be the day that you do that. I think online there's a little thing that pops up that, that you can say yes to Jesus and somebody will follow up with you. Uh, here in person, come up and talk to me and I'll be glad to follow up with you. But many of us have already done that. And here's my concern for us, especially coming out of the pandemic, that right now we are all very content with this much power of the Lord being displayed in our lives. We're content with this little bit of light, which granted, I mean, it's a good light. It shows that there's power in this thing. That's why I love this cable. Have you ever plugged in a cord and it didn't work? Like this one tells you there's power here. What I'm telling you, what Nehemiah is telling us is that you want to really see the power of God displayed? Then plug into others. Pull others with you into what God is doing because guess what? When you do that, It moves from this little bit of light of God's power displayed to to that. Oh, that wasn't smart. But to that power. Now let me ask you, which do you want? Do you want this or do you want that? What power of God do you want to see? I don't know about you, but as your pastor, I want to see Fellowship Asheville doing this. 
Because here's why. God gets the glory when his power is on this full of display. Now, I'm going to go ahead and turn this off so it doesn't blind people sitting up front like it did in the last service. (laughs) Right? So for you, as we finish this up, here's what I want to ask you. Where is the other end of your power cord? Who are God's people in your life? Are you content with just a little bit of power or do you want more of God's power in your life? Right? What if we did this this week? What if you wrote down the names of those people who are God's people in your life and you just let them know and you just encourage them? Because y'all, if we do this, I believe we haven't even begun to see what God's going to do in and through this church. That excites me. That's that Nehemiah level of excitement where you look around and you see what God is doing and you are humbled and amazed. I want that for each of you. And I believe that happens when we get to be the church together, when we're each other's people. And so today we're going to go into communion. And like Amy said, if you haven't grabbed your elements, go ahead and do that. And as we go into communion, I want us to take a unique focus of communion. Because one of the things that Jesus did, um, which if you think about all Jesus is, that Jesus is God. And God pulled people around him to accomplish his mission. Jesus didn't need people around him. The Trinity doesn't need us, but yet God created us. And he created us because there's something beautiful that happens in community. And so for communion today, I want us to focus and remember the community that Jesus created, this this organism called the church. Because when we are the church, when we get to be the church together, we get to see God's powerful power displayed in a very unique way. And so let me pray for us, and then we'll take the elements together. Jesus, um, you gathered around you tax collectors, artists, Um, betrayers, doubtful people, people full of doubt, people people full of fear. You you gathered together like type A directive leaders that that, that really messed things up and yet you fixed them. You had this, this group of people around you that probably from the outside world made no sense, but but to you it was beautiful because you got the glory for it. You get the glory for it. Father, that's us. We're a group of people that don't make a whole lot of sense. But yet, when you're the center of us, the center of us, it is beautiful. And it is holy. And we all stand humbled and amazed. And so, Father, I pray for for this time of communion as we reflect on the sacrifice that was made for us, that we see your beauty. And we would all be humbled and amazed at what you've done for us and what you can do through us. And so Jesus, we remember your body that was broken for us. We remember the crucifixion. And Jesus, you said, not only was your body broken for us, but your blood was shed for us. And so Jesus, we remember. As you're leaving, 
write on the board for us how we can be praying for you about what God is stirring. And if you have people in your life that are like the people that we see here in chapter 3, encourage them this week with letting them know. Let them know that they're the person that points you to Jesus. Let them know that they're the one who, who, who gets in the messy parts of your life with you. Let them know that, that you appreciate their working with you and working alongside of you for what God is doing. Let them know. Let's pray. Jesus, as we leave this place, may we leave um, committing ourselves to you and trusting you to work through your people so that we can be the church together. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Y'all, I love you, and I love being the church with you, and I will see you next week, all right? Bye, y'all.